0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe podcast. Today we are continuing our strike coverage, so we're not going to be talking about the uh, TV or movie properties, but there's so much else Star Wars that's out there. And today we're talking about one of the newer books, Resistance Reborn. It's a really interesting book that kind of helps fill in some of the gaps between The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Riki had read it, really, really liked it, suggested it to me. I read it. We got a lot to talk about. Whether or not you've read the book, I think there's going to be a lot here for you to enjoy. So just hold on for some commercial breaks that I hope are not from struck companies. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. As I said, today we're going to be talking about one of the novels, Resistance Reborn, and I'm joined as frequently on the Star Wars Universe podcast by Riki Ricky Riki, uh, introduce yourself, and let me ask you... What was it about this novel that kind of grabbed you and made you think this is one we should talk about?
1: It was a novel I read. Hello, wa. Good evening, everyone, or whatever time. I'm Riki Hayashi. And um, I, I picked it up alongside Bloodline, which we talked about previously. I was at the library mm-hmm. and I was just like, oh, another Star Wars book. Um, so, it was just kind of on a whim, mm-hmm. but I was intrigued by the title Because it's Resistance Reborn, and took a quick look, and it takes place directly after The Last Jedi, which is a movie that I believe we both adore. Yes, very true. And I had wanted – I mean, I think everyone wants um, the transition from The Last Jedi to Rise of Skywalker to make more sense. Yeah. Yeah. And in the same way that the Clone Wars cartoon fills in some of the gaps between movies two and three of the prequel, I think this book does a pretty good job of of doing that.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really important book. The It's always interesting with books like this where I feel like I'm looking at them through two totally different lenses. One is, what's the quality of the book itself? Like, how much is it a page turner? How much it does have passages that keep making me want to kind of go back to it and then the other part is how much does it you know kind of explore or tell me either new things about the universe or new things about the characters or new things about the plot and I think for me I put this in a similar category to um, uh, Revenge of the Sith which I think of as the best of the prequels And what I mean by that is, I don't think it's the best novel I've ever read. I think it had some flaws. I think it had some very good parts. I think it had some not so great parts and just didn't, I wasn't in love with the way the story unfolded. But simply for what it did to take those characters at the end of The Last Jedi and help me much better on, one of the things I think I didn't like so much about Rise of Skywalker is so much of it felt incongruous with the end of The Last Jedi. And this feels like, it's not like this makes everything in Rise of Skywalker make sense, uh, or it's not that it makes me understand what they were trying to do with Rise of Skywalker. This feels very much like they realized they had these big plot holes and wanted to fill them in. But I think it does a good job of doing that. It answers one of the biggest questions I had. And it was also just really nice to spend some more time with these characters who, you know, I hope we're going to get more of in the upcoming uh, movies, Once the Strike Ends. But uh, we surely are not going to see for a while.
1: Yeah, for me the biggest thing that this novel did was fix or or continue, I don't know how to phrase it. The story of Poe Dameron that we got mm. in the last Jedi and it for me what Poe did in that movie was inexcusable and and quite yeah. frankly like made me dislike him as a character. And I did not feel like the resolution of that in the movie was satisfying. And Mm -hmm. so, this book directly addresses that. But what I mean by his actions is like he conducted a mutiny on the ship against Admiral Holdo. And that, frankly, cost the resistance many lives because of that.
0: Definitely. Uh, And I'm glad you said that because honestly, for me- I really appreciated that. We'll talk about it for sure. It actually answered for me a a, a very different question, but also the one that was most important to me, which was how did we go from the resistance sends out a message to their allies when they're on crate and no one responds to the next movie where once again, we ask for help and all of a sudden a lot of people respond. So, I think there's a lot here to get into let's let me start by giving a brief plot summary of the book um I'm gonna skip over a lot of the kind of adventure details because I, I don't think that's relevant as much but I'll just say like there's a lot of adventure in it a lot of like you know high and rescues and fights and space battles and onboard battles that are really well written and, and interesting i I just don't think summarizing them is really gonna be helpful but I'll kind of go over the plot so We start quite literally on the Millennium Falcon as it is fleeing from Crait. Um, And we have a couple of point of view characters, most especially Poe and Leia. And they're both really kind of wrestling with what has happened. Leia's really feeling the weight of having now lost Luke on top of having lost Han and losing uh, Admiral Holdo, which uh, if you've read, uh, you mentioned Bloodlines, which has really paid off well in this book. But also, if you've read Leia, Princess of Alderaan, that goes so much more into her friendship with Haldo. So we're dealing with all of that loss, and she's trying to figure out where to go. And she's reaching out to people, and she's getting some answers, some she's not. Uh, And they try a couple of things, and eventually they find some Twi'leks, who are basically, you go all the way back to the Clone Wars... And the Twi'leks are kind of like the Mandalorians in that they've always tried to be kind of on the outer edge of things. They don't want to be involved. But when, you know, either the Separatists or the Empire and now the First Republic comes to their planet and they want to fight them, if the Rebellion or the Republic or the Resistance wants to join them in that fight, then they're on. And there's a, a Twi'lek leader who's who knows Leia, is willing to work with Leia. And he offers them some some solace and a place to rest and to gather. Uh, meanwhile, some of our others have been going out to the far stretches of the universe, the galaxy, trying to round up more help. They find some more help, including Um, Wedge, Wedge Antilles from the original movie. If you ever wondered how in the world he shows up at the end of Rise of Skywalker, this helps to explain it. Uh, him and his now uh, partner, Nora... Were mentioned a lot in the um, what are the books about the end of the empire called? Aftermath. Uh, Aftermath. Thank you. Another really interesting trilogy. A lot of characters from that show up. We all wind up on Ryloth, the Twi'lek homeworld, and they decide they have to go out on another series of missions to try and take to try and basically like help the resistance get at what it needs. And they realize that the things that it most needs are, uh Nor ships, and so Poe Dameron leads a group to go try and steal some ships. Uh, Another group is going to go and try and rescue some prisoners. And then lastly, there's apparently a list that is out there in the galaxy that is a list of all the people that the um, First Order has either already arrested or is planning to arrest or has suspicions about. And it's basically a list of people who are upset at the Rebellion. Uh, upset at the First Order. Leia figures some of them are natural allies, so let's see if we can get this list. Uh, we go on various hijinks and adventures. Uh, some of the plans go right, some of the plans go wrong. We spend a lot of time, actually, with a couple of officers who are in the First Order, giving us some very interesting perspectives there that we'll definitely talk about. And um. Eventually, it turns out that someone within the First Order uh, is working as a spy, and his boss screws up, kind of catch him. Uh, there's all sorts of kind of um struggles that this person goes through. Let me look up that person's name quickly. Or do you remember his name?
1: Which one? The bureaucrat?
0: The bureaucrat. Yeah, the boss. Uh,
1: Brat? Windsor Brat,
0: I Windsor Brat, yeah. So Windsor Brat is our main First Order point of view character. He's basically a bureaucrat. He's He kind of reminds me some of some of the characters we got in Andor in that he's portrayed. You know he's in the First Order and he's some of the First Order power uh, you know power hungriness already. But you also see how much he's being kicked around by the people above him. He's not actually First Order. He works for the Corellian Engineering Company, but he's kind of aligned with the First Order. Now that the First Order's come in. I think kind of like, uh, I don't want to give away too much for Andor, but kind of like a character in Andor, you have some sympathy for him while also recognizing that he's involved in something terrible. And as the book goes on, you have less and less sympathy for him. But basically, he's there's a plot going on in his office that he's unable to see because of his kind of domineering and incompetence. But it turns out one of the people working in his office is uh, partnering with his wife. They've gotten their hands on this list, and they're going to sell it. And it turns out that they are part of a group called The Collective, which is basically space anonymous, as far as I can tell. It's a group. uh, I'm actually going to read a description of the uh, group because it's just so perfect. This is Poe talking about The Collective. He knew The Collective and had occasion to deal with a criminal organization in his past. They were mostly encryption bankers, network slicers, and data pirates. Criminals were the cause, but criminals certainly. Of course, the resistance wasn't exactly on the right side of the law these days. So, like, they're very much space anonymous, you know, in terms of, like, hackers and activists who are using data stuff. Also for their own – perhaps a little bit more for their own benefit sometimes than uh, uh, anonymous or some of those groups. But that same kind of energy. So, it turns out that group is trying to auction it. Poe and Finn try to get into the auction. Things go wrong. Uh, but of course, in the end, our heroes wind up all coming together, all the plot lines kind of uh, collect. Uh, Brett dies a deserved death. The the person in the First Order office who's trying to do the right thing gets rescued. Uh, and by the end of it, the Resistance has more ships, more leaders, more soldiers, and most importantly, more hope. Uh, do you think I captured the main points pretty well? What did I miss?
1: Um, the, of the plot, I think you did a great job. I I want to make sure before we go any further that we name and acknowledge the author, which is yes. Re- Rebecca Rowan Horse. Yep, I think uh, off- this is her. F- go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, oftentimes we talk about the writers of episodes of the TV shows, not all the times, but for yep. novels, especially, I think we we need to make sure that Definitely. we're acknowledging.
0: Definitely, yeah, and she's um, this is her first Star Wars novel. Uh, she's also listed as, in her credits, the Star Wars show Journey to Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker Books Revealed, plus your Star Wars Day messages on the official Star Wars YouTube channel. That's like five things together. get. So I think what that means is that she wrote some of the text that's involved in some YouTube videos about Star Wars. Uh, that's from the official Star Wars channel. I'm not sure. But as far as I can tell this is her first uh this is her first Star Wars published uh novel.
1: Well, she's got quite a few novels and um, some Nebula and Hugo awards. I don't not the main ones I think, but
0: Mhm. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it looks like yeah, she did, she's done a good deal of things in the other parts of science fiction and this is her first time coming into Star Wars. So, that's pretty awesome. Race to the Sun is another novel she's written, and then she's written a lot of things in other stuff. One last thing I just want to add about uh, Rebecca Rowanhouse, the author, uh, she's Native American. She's Navajo. She's been very involved with uh, the Navajo for some time, including as an attorney serving on the Navajo Supreme Court. And I believe this is the first time we've had a novel written by a Native American, uh, or I think any indigenous person. So that's definitely an awesome thing. So, where do you want to start with the story? Uh, let's start with Poe, actually, because you brought that up. What, what is it about Poe's journey in this that you really appreciated?
1: So, I one of the things I liked about his story in La- The Last Jedi was that I thought of it as I, I've always called it the leader's journey, paralleling with, you know, the hero's journey that is credited, you know, for Luke Skywalker's original trilogy journey. And for me, Poe is kind of the protagonist of The Last Jedi, and he has to go through this struggle where he is trying to become a leader of the Resistance Mm -hmm. and goes through a significant failure. Actually, two failures. I mean, in the very beginning scene, he orders an attack of the bombers on the Dreadnought, which accomplishes his goal of destroying the Dreadnought, but as Leia criticizes – you cost right. us all of our bombers. We, we don't have any bombers left.
0: And she did give him a direct order not to do Yes. It.
1: yes. So, several times he is disobeying mm-hmm. direct orders from Leia, from Admiral Holdo, and he's he's got this hot shot, you know, pilot mentality, which in other stories, when it's the hero's journey, that works out for the hero, right? Mm-hmm. When they defy orders, like they do the right thing and they save the day. But here, very much so, it doesn't work. And right. I, I recently just watched the J.J. Abrams um, Star Trek movies and Captain Kirk has a very similar leader's journey where, you know, he he goes against Spock, who is at the time the acting captain of the Enterprise and has to go through this process of failing his first shot at becoming a leader and then reconciling with the people that he defied And having them acknowledge, okay, yes, I will defer to you now in this situation.
0: Yeah, I really appreciated that about Poe. And a lot of what we get in this book, and I think in some ways, this is the kind of thing that like, I agree with you, I would have rather seen a little bit more exploration of it on screen. But I do think that in a book, you get far more because you can get the inner dialogue. And one thing I think that the book kind of really makes clear, which you could have had I think you could infer this but it really makes it very clear is that he was aware that he had failed Leia and he that was part of why he winds up leading that mutiny. Not because he thinks this is going to get back on Leia's graces but because he, he's torn up inside and he feels like he has to do something. The idea of just sitting still and not doing anything when he feels so much guilt already it, it just put him in the situation where that's what he wound up doing and He thinks that's not as a way to kind of – because he wants to understand his own thinking, not to justify it. And I really appreciate what that then turns into of him really trying to to reset himself to understand like, where did I go wrong? How can I this time commit myself to the plan? And and even to the point where I think kind of – at least this is what I got. I'm curious if you felt the same way. It's kind of that pendulum swing where he was a little bit too brash and too – I know everything, what I should do last time. And this time he swings back a little bit. And part of what happens is that Leia has to convince him, like, no, you are still a leader. You can still be a leader. And, and we don't really have the luxury of you kind of just feeling guilty and not doing this work. You need to still step up.
1: Yeah. So despite me saying I like his journey in, in The oh. Last Jedi, the ending of it was too snappy of, of yeah. a fix, right? When they're in the crystal cave and he's like, "We're getting out of here through the through the back." And everyone kind of pauses and looks at Leia and she says, "Why are you looking at me?" Like, "Follow his orders." Yeah. And it's a it's a cute moment and it's a nice acknowledgement and handoff. But what we get in this novel is a lot of the other members surviving members of the resistance going, "Why should we follow Poe?" Like, he failed us in that moment and he's, he also has that internal dialogue. So, I, I really like that because I think we need it and we didn't yeah. we didn't get that in the movie, that acknowledgement that he screwed up.
0: Yeah, I really think so. And and I'll just address, um, if you're listening to this podcast, I, I doubt you're on this side of things, but uh, just to those who still stand by the kind of like, oh, Admiral Holdo should have told him or something like that. This book really makes clear that that's just not the case and that, that Poe is coming to the understanding of, you know, with all that Holdo had, had going on, the 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 concerns about how were they figuring this all out, as well as Poe having shown himself to be completely unreliable and unwilling to listen, that, that Holdo keeping that from him did make sense. Um, And so I, I really appreciated that them kind of it, – it, it didn't feel too on the nose, but it felt a little bit close, but it definitely felt like the book was very consciously trying to be like – no, we want to put this argument to bed. Um, so let's talk about uh, what I was kind of most happy about. Uh, I'm curious how you felt about this. Uh, um, in Rise of Skywalker, when we kind of went from Leia saying like, you know, we asked for help and no one responded. And now all of a sudden it's Lando who goes out and all these people respond. How did you feel about that? Did that? Did that work for you? In the movie? No.
1: Yeah. It absolutely didn't work for me. And I think I've been thinking about this a lot. <laughs> so I might have like a word dump here. But basically the problem I think is that the original trilogy set this expectation of narrative and of the balance of power in the galaxy between the empire and the rebellion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the, the postquels kind of repeat the formula right like they've been especially force awakens has been cited as a retread of a new hope in a lot of ways and so our expectations as we watch the post-qual trilogy was it's the same as the prequels and so like there should be this progression of the balance of power changing and favoring the rebellion slash resistance and admittedly like the second movie in a trilogy, is usually the the moment where evil is more ascendant, right? right? But I think that's that's wrong here. Like in the original trilogy, that's definitely the case. Like Luke's been defeated by Darth mm-hmm. Vader, the the base at Hoth has been destroyed, and they've been chased off, and Han Solo has been captured. Right? Like evil is triumphant in the Empire Strikes Back, as the title suggests. In in the postquel trilogy. Evil triumphs in the first movie. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, they blow up Starkiller Base, but the First Order destroyed Hosnian Prime, the capital of the New Republic. But they destroyed the New
0: Republic. Yeah.
1: And so, this is not a case of like the rebellion slowly gaining strength. The rebellion, the the resistance is crushed, mm-hmm. and it's 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 actually like it's crushed even further into the ground in yeah. The Last Jedi. Like, it is it is literally like the people on the Millennium Falcon at the end yeah. of that movie. And it, and that's very different from in The Empire Strikes Back when Luke, you know, is on the hospital ship and looks out. There's, there's a fleet. There's a yeah. fleet. So, there is still hope. Whereas the hope in The Last Jedi is like in one tiny ship. And it's yeah. a good line. Like, Leia's line at the end of the movie, like, we have all we need right here. Mm -hmm. But it is, it is quite a bleak situation. And that's why I think like stuff doesn't make sense to us and maybe other people of like, why, where's the rest of the galaxy? Right. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I had to really like reframe my thinking of these two trilogies in relation to each other. And hopefully like by listening to this, like that helps other people to like think like, yeah, these aren't the same.
0: Yeah. I think it's a good point. Um, Especially because, even in the prequel trilogy, like the war starts, and so we know that sort of the machinations are going forward, but the Republic looks like it's just gotten this huge army. So you know, and they they win this battle on Geonosis. So even that trilogy also doesn't fit the same kind of narrative arc. I, I think for me, all that's very true, and I think that probably is something I hadn't thought of. I think the reason why it bothered me the most is that I thought it was one of the most brilliant parts of The Last Jedi. And because I think there is often this idea in movie making, especially when it's a movie about tyranny, oppression, whatever it is, that at the end of the day, if all the people just knew just how bad things were, someone said, look, We're going to be brave. No one else thinks we can stand up and fight, but we're going to stand up and fight. You know, at the end of the day, there's always more of us than there are of them. Uh, You know, which I think actually is a quote in um, Rise of Skywalker. But certainly, it's you know, that's the point of V for Vendetta. That's the point of uh, most Union movies and The Strike. You know, it's that all these individual people or planets or countries or cities that feel scared. And like if any one of them stands up against the fascism the empire whatever it is that they're going to get crushed but if they all stand up together they're going to win and that if someone just says that properly you know uh there's never a way to stop the signal in uh the fire fire the firefly movies uh, serenity you know whatever it is if we can just show people the truth and inspire them they'll rise up And in The Last Jedi, that doesn't work. And I thought that was so brilliant, especially because and again, I I don't want to get too much into real world politics and stuff, but real world politics have been a part of this movies all the way back to 1977. George Lucas said very clearly that he was inspired by what America was doing in Vietnam and and the battles against empires and all that kind of stuff. And It was very meant to be commentary. At the time Last Jedi came out, a lot of us had been Every couple of weeks, some new story would come out about someone on the right wing, and we think, "Okay, this will finally show people that the emperor has no clothes. This will finally get people to rise up." And it never worked. And to me, that I was really—I think there was a real moment a lot of people were going through of like, "We have to, we have to stop waiting for that gotcha moment. We have to stop thinking this one piece of new news will change everything." We need to organize on a totally different level. And to me, that's what The Last Jedi was about, was saying we can't just do that same thing again. And so when that's basically they did in Rise of Skywalker, but this time it worked, I found it very disappointing.
1: I I think that's very prescient in that I believe the story of Star Wars that they are starting to tell more and more about Mm -hmm. the Empire and now also the First Order is that these are evils that people are willing to accept yeah, to, to a so. large degree. And so, I think it, it makes more sense now in The Rise of Skywalker that Palpatine is the evil that people are not willing to accept, right? And with his mm-hmm. uh, whatever, like, Star Destroyer with Death Star lasers. So, it's a, it's a little paradoxical in that the First Order uses Starkiller base – in the force awakens, and so, in theory, like people shouldn't be willing to accept that, but but they yeah. end up doing so. We have to accept that that happened but but, I do think like what the galaxy looks like in the last Jedi leading into this book is that the first order has taken over yeah, and and won, and people are kind of like, okay, and, and that's that's again like a part of this trilogy that didn't track as well when compared to the original trilogy and make as much sense. And and that's like the the thing we have to reconcile with and come to realize.
0: For sure. And and I think that getting back to the book, to me, this book does a lot to help answer that.
1: Yeah. Um, The Corellia scenes, especially.
0: Yeah. Because we see a lot of people who are like, well, the war's over. We lost. Uh, On Corellia, the, the bureaucrat who I talked about. He doesn't seem like he loves the First Order, but he's like, well, you know, they won. And a lot of the other people we oh. meet in Corellia are just sort of like, you know, I, I think he does come to love them, but at first, it, you know, he starts from a place of like, oh, okay, they're the new power in town. But everyone else, they're just like, well, this sucks, but what are we going to do? Even some of the resistance pilots, some of the people who Poe finds are trying to try and recruit and some of the others find, their first response is, there's nothing to fight for anymore. The war ends. Even Wedge. Yeah. Wedge, Wedge, Wedge and
1: Nora have like a farm, and yeah, and they, they uh, uh, initially they just they're like, We're, "This isn't our fight anymore."
0: Yeah, and they specifically say the fight's over. Yeah, and I feel like this book by by showing that we see some of the people who Leia did actually ask for help, and and what we see is they have to be convinced, and that these these small victories of getting more people involved helps move that needle. That Leia talking to them individually, you know, having these conversations with them moves the needle. We learned that some of them just weren't there to answer because they were taken prisoner, which I, I felt like it was a little bit of a cop-out. But but because if it had just been that, I would have been, I would have felt that kind of underwrote The Last Jedi. But it's not that. There, are, there legitimately are many people who heard Leia's call for help and just – in their mind, the war was over. They saw no reason to respond. They 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 couldn't bring themselves to – and like you said, they they figured that this is what they had to accept. And it's, you know, I think you're right. Palpatine probably is a part of it. Uh, the, and the Star Destroyers, they're all Death Stars, probably is a part of it. But I think what the book really shows is, is Leia making the personal connections. It's Poe. It's all of them sitting down with people and not just saying, hey, we need help, but really listening to their concerns, speaking to their concerns. Can you tell them a community organizer? Because this is like Solvinsky Community Organizing 101, but it's really what the book shows.
1: I want to go back real quick and disagree with you about the Karelian bureaucrat, Brat. Uh-huh. I mean, his name is Brat.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I think
1: he's just an evil opportunistic bully. And when mm-hmm. he sees the way that the First Order is, that it is an organization of bullies that rewards bullies, he's like, this is perfect for me. I'm going to rise up. Mm-hmm. So I i don't think he's ambivalent. I i think he, maybe he's unsure, but as soon as he sees what the First Order is about, he is, in my opinion, fully on board.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's correct. I think he was probably a bad example of that theme, but the theme shown many other people for sure. Uh, shall we talk about uh, our dear Mr. Brett and the rest of the folks on Corellia?
1: I mean, he's ter- He's a terrible character. He's a well-written character, but he's terrible. There's like I, – I don't know that there's anything redeeming about him.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd agree. I think he's a good example of how you can have sympathy for someone without thinking that anything they do is justified because mm. I think the way he – the He's very much caught in a trap of his own ambitions um and I think part of what it really shows is how much like he's a small bully trying and he's trying to make his way in an organization of much bigger bullies and he winds up really like I mean he winds up uh like the it, it, it's not as on the nose as I'm about to say it because it comes through over a hundred pages instead of just two lines. But like early in the book, he, uh, or about the middle of the book, someone's trying to warn him of the thing that's happening in his office and he just shuts her down and he won't listen to her. And then later, this guy who's a much higher up person, um, uh, a genteel, uh Colonel genteel, He's trying to explain something to Gentile, and Gentile just shuts him down in the exact same way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, just a classic case of hoisted by his own petards.
0: Yeah, it, it turns out the leopards eating faces pop party is going to eat his face. Yeah. And we get to see his dawning realization of the leopards are eating his face. And I, like I said, I, I find some parts of him, especially early in the book, mildly sympathetic. He crosses some lines later that's like, okay, we're, we're done with him. But I just think he was, um, again, not justified, not redeeming, but he humanized the First Order in a way that I really that I, I really enjoyed. Because I think, as you said, it shows how, yeah, a lot of people, when a new bully comes to town, they're not necessarily going to say, oh, I've got to fight this. They're going to say, you know, how, how do I get on their side? Um, mm-hmm. And to me, that he is kind of the flip side of everything we're saying about Leia calling for help. He's the other side of why a lot of people would be okay with this, because in their mind, this gives them a chance to advance.
1: Yeah. I mean it, his character just had big uh Hannah Arendt banality of evil energy going on. Very much right? so. Just, Very much so. He he is a bureaucrat. Like all he does is push papers and like move people around. And then when the first order shows up and they're like, We're moving prisoners around, he's like, Okay, I'm I'm good at this. Like I can do yeah. this. Yeah, and, very he, much and, so. he, and I, I don't believe like his character had ever had any moments where he questioned it or he just assumed like, oh, well, if the First Order, they're prisoners, they must have done something bad. And like, he just falls
0: right in line. Yep. Very much so. Very much so. And in terms of the other people in his office, I think they're more kind of part of the adventure part of the story, but it is, one of them is 15 and I think was very clearly like recruited to be in his office because of her, she has an eidetic memory. Uh, And so, it's just another side of – you know, Finn talks a little bit more about being recruited as a child, you know, not even having a name for most of his life. Mm, And I think this is just – it's another sign of not only in the Empire but also in the bureaucracy and all that. Uh, The First Order is very happy because she is someone who's placed once the First Order kind of helps to take over uh, Corellia and and thus the Corellia Engineering Company. And so, she – I don't think the Engineering Company would have hired her necessarily – but the First Order is like, oh, you're a 15-year-old, but you have a skill we can use. Yeah, we're going to make you go do this work.
1: Yeah. So, you mentioned Finn. Yes. And I just... For all of you people out there who wanted more of Finn and Rose, I think we get a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want more of Finn and Poe... We get a little bit of that. We get ship, a lot more of that. Ship that. There's a delightful scene where I believe the, the, it's like a Canto bite part two, right? They're they're going yeah. to this fancy auction for the the knock list. I'm calling it the mm-hmm. knock list because Mission Impossible's on my mind. Yeah. And Finn, having grown up as a stormtrooper, is like I don't know how to tie a tie, like when we dress up, and and Poe is like tying it for him and like talking about his father like my dad taught me how to tie tie like this and they're like yeah. having a moment.
0: Yep. It's very sweet. I definitely had a like okay, this just launched a bunch more fanfics right off this scene. Yeah. Uh one thing I will say also just just backing up a second about Finn and Rose, there's no real explanation given, but at one like Poe is asking him about his, his dating life and apparently like Finn and Rose We're together for a little while, and then it ended, and then him and someone new were together, and it ended. And it's not talked about much, but but I think the implication is, like, Finn is still figuring out his life, and yeah, kind of, you know, getting into – he's not in the best place for a relationship probably right now, and he's pretty bad at relationships, and Poe teases him about that a little bit. And it was not much – it was maybe one page – but I really appreciated that they acknowledged – again, because you wake up in the third movie and Finn is now getting to uh, flirt with uh, the woman who's another former stormtrooper. And you're sort of like, what happened to him and Rose? And and so this was – again, it was a little like, okay, let, let's kind of try to paper over that, that plot hole and get us there. And I just – I'm sorry that it was needed and I think part of the po- – I think part of why I didn't enjoy this book as much as I wanted to is it did felt the book was like, the book knew what its mission was, was oh, to yeah, fill yeah. in all these plot holes. <laughs> it's a patch. And I think it, I, yeah, I think kind of like, you know, Age of Ultron 2, it, it, uh, Avengers 2, Age of Ultron, it's hard to make a movie when you have all those other agendas. Same with the book. But I do think like, I, I'm very glad it was there. So yeah, I just, I'm just just glad that it did that. Fin, so Finn and Poe get to have these great adventures together. We also get some more great moments with Finn and Rey. And, and I also really appreciated that Poe and Rey, you know, it, it it felt funny to realize like they hadn't met until the end of The Last Jedi. And and we get some wonderful scenes of like both Rey and Poe talking about how like, well, if Finn trusts you, I trust you. And if Finn likes you, I like you. And my polyamorous heart just wants to try out of them. And so I was happy about that. Uh, but even if they're just best buds, anybody who felt like they wanted more than energy it's it's really nice to see those bonds connecting yeah
1: i what did i can't remember now what was ray doing in this novel
0: <sighs> i thought she kind of
1: disappeared
0: um she didn't do very much i think she decided to stay by leia because she was worried oh, she had yes. a bad feeling about something and then her kind of precognition jedi you know spidey sense let her know that an attack was coming um Yes. I have the feeling that they made a conscious choice to mostly keep her off the board because she's too powerful. You know, she's such, yeah, she's so powerful. It's hard to like give other people space if she's along for the ride. Um, I think they want to go in so many more directions with her character still in the upcoming movies. I don't know if they knew that when this book was published, but I, I can imagine her being a character they want to be very, very careful with. Uh, and and while I want more Ray content, I will say I. I don't think having rave more in this book would have helped. Uh, mm-hmm. And we do get, she doesn't do much, but she interacts a lot. And her and yeah. Leia have some really good conversations about Luke, yes. uh, which feels really satisfying. Uh, they get to kind of process their grief together. um, And she gets, as I said, the really good moments with Poe and, and with Finn. So yeah, I felt like she's not in the adventure scenes, but she does feel like she's a big part of the book.
1: Yeah. I, I think, I think you're right. Like, I, I remember now, like, the conversations about Luke, like, that, that was another thing that I just needed just that little bit more of. Like, they have that moment yeah. on the Millennium Falcon at the end, like, Luke is gone, and they, they hold hands or something. But yeah, I needed I needed a deeper conversation, and we got that yes. in this novel. So, that was good.
0: Well, I, especially because one thing I hadn't realized was when Rey does what she does at the end of Last Jedi... She doesn't know that Luke is dead yet. She has no idea what happened on the other side of those rocks. She's just landed and is now here to help. And maybe she saw it out of the Millennium Falcon. We don't know. But certainly she starts out this book feeling very like the weight of I am the last Jedi. All of this is on me. I have to do so much. And I think a lot of what we also see is Leia helping her to find that confidence but she had some of in The Last Jedi, to be sure. But I think especially with Luke gone, she really doubts a lot. And so, she has kind of like a a, a real journey in this book.
1: Yeah. Um. So, I, I definitely want to address the fact that there are a lot of characters in this novel that have been like woven in throughout the history of Star Wars. You mentioned mm-hmm. – um, wedge and nora wexley right like they were in the aftermath novel. that's where they meet i haven't finished that series but i guess they fall in love and get married
0: spoilers Uh, i will say also uh snap uh who originally goes by another name which i can't remember but he's now known as snap her son is also in this
1: snap wexley okay so he's another he's in the movies he's played by uh greg grunberg Who was like a good Hmm. friend of J.J. Abrams, I guess, because he's in everything. But um, he was in Heroes, he was the cop character. Okay. Among other things. Like he's been on a lot of stuff. He's he's a great (laughs) like character actor. Um and so yeah, like I I never made that connection that his character in the movies is snap until I was like researching for this. I was like, "Oh, Oh, that's awesome. Wait a minute. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Like so there's that connection. And um, Yendor, the Ryloth, the person on Ryloth who helps them um, set up the base, he is in a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, he was in Bloodline. He was the, the Ryloth emissary who at the beginning comes and pleads to the Republic Senate about the, about the uh, smugglers or whatever, who, pirates who are threatening Ryloth, and that's when Leia goes off on the investigation.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then Yendor is also in uh, Lost Stars, which I finished reading a couple weeks ago. Oh, very, very good book. If you want to talk about that, (laughs) Star Star Wars plus uh, rom-com, like, I'm here for it. I was very excited Mm -hmm. when I found out, like, what the main plot was for for that book. Um, but Yendor is um, so. Thane Kyrell is the male character in that novel who joins the rebellion, and at the Battle of Hoth, Yendor is Thane's gunner in his snowspeeder. Among other, nice. I, among other things, awesome. I think I think they go on together to um, in what do they call Corona Squadron. So they're they're right. they're squad mates in that squadron.
0: And I'll also say um, early in the book, sort of one of the people who lay it way, one thing she says is, and this isn't quite a slight at Poe, but I, it's more because she really feels the loss of Holdo and Akbar and all those others. She says they need leaders, they need strategists, they need generals. And so one of the people who comes back to them, uh, I forget his name. If you, if you have it, let me know, but he's the. Uh, the person on Hoth who was uh, the kind of leader of the ground forces. Uh, oh, you know, General says, you know,
1: General Raikin.
0: General Raikin, yes, thank you. Um, yeah, he's the one who kind of is warning Leia that we can't, you know, hold them off for long. We'll have to start the evacuation. Yeah. Uh so yeah, he's one of the generals who, and you know, when I read it in the book, I had to go Google it because I had no idea who it was. But I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's that. It shows how much they're really trying to make this all a Titan universe. Which I really, really appreciate.
1: And the other the other one, we haven't said his name up till now. And I kind of spoiled it. I, I hope that wasn't too bad. But Ransom Casterfo. Casterfo?
0: Casterfo. Yep. Who is not in any of the movies, but if you've read Bloodlines or even listened to our episode about Bloodlines, he's the senator on the other side who winds up uh, working with Leia and then um, revealing to everyone that Leia is Vader's daughter, and in the end, he gets framed and is sent off to his death, and it turns out that he was never actually killed, he's been imprisoned all this time, and and it's very important for Leia to kind of rescue him, and I, I felt bittersweet about that, because I love that he's back, but then why wasn't he in the movie? And of course, that's a problem when you're writing a novel that's a prequel to a movie that already exists. Well, yeah. Uh,
1: I think I mentioned in the last podcast that he was, like, penciled in as a potential character early on.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome.
1: And for whatever reason, it just didn't work out.
0: Yeah. Okay. That makes some sense. But yeah, so it's fun to see them back and, and just see how all that works. And it's a nice- I got emotional
1: again. I I don't know. Something about him, Ransom, and Leia and their character arc and Bloodline really got to me. And mm-hmm. and the reunion in this book was just perfect for me. I, yeah. I really needed that.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, it, it was such a nice way of tying back into those earlier novels and giving Leia's character some real continuity. I think we think of her so much in terms of her relationships with Han and Luke and Chewie and the, the droids and then later characters – and we forget that you know, she had she was a senator both bef- in both the Empire and the New Republic, and she had colleagues from that. That she had grown up in the the service of of what was sp- the the Republic, and then well, no, she, she grew up in kind of the being trained to be in the Imperial service. Uh not she grew up kind of you know in the senatorial training programs, and that's how she met Holdo and had this relationship with her. And yeah, it's really just nice to see all this other side of Leia outside of her connections to Luke and Han.
1: Yeah. So for me, I the Disneyfied Disneyfication, Disneyfication of Star Wars, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm here for it because the way that they layer and connect things seems much more consistent than it was in Legends. Le- Legends, like, at times got really random and it just felt like n- there was no one in charge who knew everything and could, like, point to a novel or a comic yeah. book and say, like, this character here, this character there. I feel like there's better continuity now in-, mm-hmm. in the Disney canon. And it's I think it's similar to, like, the MCU, right? The way that they connect movies and TV shows and have one character move from one to the other. And... Seeing Yendor in these multiple novels over the last couple of weeks that I've been reading, I'm just like, oh my gosh, he's just in everything. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. When do I get a Yendor feature? And it makes sense, you know? And I think – it's why I think it's pretty easy, even during the strike, to keep talking about Star Wars because there is – not only is all of this um, novels and, and comic books and stuff out there, and video games, but it's so clearly being brought back into – uh, some of the other stuff that um you know we're not going to talk about for a while but hopefully sir, i i'm very hopeful that the strike is ended by the time any new star wars properties come down the line uh and i i you know no 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 new stuff is being made right now and it shouldn't be but whenever they do i i know there've been a couple of times where one time in specific that was that was kind of problem where Elements of the book were put on screen and were changed in ways that removed uh, 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 a character that's really important to a lot of people because of representation matters. Uh, I don't want to really get into it because I'm trying to talk about the shows and anything like that. But you know, so I hope I hope things are better that way. I think there've been a couple other instances where book details weren't always kept the same, but I think certainly that we do we are having this level of interaction between the books and the movies and TV shows that I really really appreciate because it it makes you feel like. I think sometimes when watching the MCU TV shows, especially like in the Netflix MCU shows, but even some of the more recent stuff, when that stuff then wouldn't happen in the movies, or like Shield maybe is a better example, when it wouldn't matter in the movies, you kind of felt like, well, why am I watching this? Like it's good, but it's his own it's kinda of like the the redhead stepchild. I say that as a redhead who's a stepchild. Um and so yeah, so I just I I'm just finding I like the books so much. And there's so many rich stories and they just it tells us more about the story, tells us more about the characters, and it just tells us so much more about the world.
1: Yeah. And we, ha- we have so much opportunity for more. Like, I said, I said, give us a Yendor novel or whatever. Mm-hmm. Give us a Casterfo novel, like, with him yeah. as the main character. Like, show us what he does in the Resistance after he's rescued here.
0: Yeah. Um, especially since we don't know why he doesn't show up. Maybe give him a glorious ending. But have him be – because they're not done yet. They've only recruited a few people. Have him be part of the next group that he goes back to some of his colleagues on his side of the New Republic and helps rally them against the First Order. Um, you know, I think that that could be great. Um,
1: right. Because he I, was part of the – what were the political parties called? Populists and centrists? Is that I right? I think so, yeah. So yeah. He, he was a centrist, right? Who was kind of like more – No,
0: no. Let- Leia was because the central. It, it, it's it's kind of like federalists and anti federalists. Okay. It's Leia was the let's have a central government that has some authority over everything, and he was more on the every planet should get to do its own thing and only like, have very very loose um kind of connections to each other. Is that what it was?
1: I th- I thought he was like more pro authoritarianism.
0: I. No, maybe you're right. Maybe he was on the – I he was nothing pro-authoritarianism, but I thought it started from a place of, like, let each planet do its own thing. Um, But you may be right. I Well, well fans, let us know in the comments. Uh, he definitely was on the side of more authoritarianism. Uh, It's it, it just the, the way their relationship has played out has been really great. So I'm going to end with just one little sad note about the book. Uh, not a sad note, but like a little, like, yeah, you didn't need to do that. And again, this is spoilers for the adventure parts. I spoiled the whole book, but you know, I hope you've uh, not cared about that to this point. But if you do, this is definitely a spoiler about an adventure part. But that's the point: is that the book itself is already spoiled. You know, obviously, towards the end of a book, you're going to have some characters in lethal danger <sighs> and some real moments of do they live or do they not? <clears throat> and some of it is with new characters who we don't see on screen, so it totally makes sense. But one of them is Wedge Antilles. The book tries to get you to wonder if Wedge Antilles is going to live through a battle. When we know he appears in the next movie. Oh, that's where <laughs> so, you're going. I was just like come, come on. Like
1: I, I was going to say get, like
0: I get this a prequel problem and plot armor problem, but like yeah, he had so many other characters to choose from. <laughs> I
1: would never assume that Wedge was going to die mm-hmm. under any circumstances, quite frankly. Yeah. I, I get I get what you're saying. But he is like as close to a main character as you can get, you mm-hmm. know, from from the side characters. So I, I thought you were gonna go to um, you know, my new favorite character, Yandor. His mm-hmm. his daughter dies in their escape from Ryloth. And yeah. it was really tragic.
0: Yeah. And he comes close to sacrificing himself. Yeah. Uh and, and- you get the sense that he would help them escape if he does, but also in part he's doing it because, um, you know, he wants he wants to die now that his daughter is dead. And there's a really kind of touching scene where um, uh, he learns that his grandchildren are still alive, his son's children. Yeah. Uh, but then Leia specifically kind of like – she she gives him something to do, which I think – like she they realize that one of the pilots has died – and so they need someone to fly an X-Wing. Yes. And that's really what... It's a really beautiful moment because it's not he's just- this guy. He's... I don't know. He's my new Wedge. Like, the connection that's between awesome.
1: them. Wedge. Maybe, maybe we'll... maybe I think we've... Are, are we going to have... Are going to have an episode on Glup Shadows? <laughs> yeah. Okay. We definitely could. So, uh, Wedge is one of my favorite... Like, kind of started as a Glup and has become just a, a real character and a real person. Mm-hmm. So I hope I hope that's on the books for Yendor
0: yeah. coming up. I would love to see that. I'd love to see that. All right. Well, quick programming note, uh, and I'll we'll take this away, but then, of course, we're going to have the Patreon section. Just letting folks know that I'm going to Gen Con next week, uh, and I, I think I'm going to have Star Wars content that I get a chance to record uh, before that. I think what we're actually going to do is I've been on a non-American movie kick- And I recently, Paul, who's a frequent guest on this podcast as well, uh, recently watched The Hidden Fortress, which is a Japanese movie from the 50s that Lucas said many times was a big inspiration for these movies. So we're going to talk about that. It's a movie that wasn't made by any of the companies that are being struck. Uh, I've been kind of getting into a lot of those movies. I have a lot of Godzilla uh, thoughts that I want to talk about. Um, uh, So we'll get more into that as well. Um, But Letting you know, I hope that's going to happen, but in case it doesn't, because I'm going to be away, there may not be an episode next week. Again, please be understanding, with a strike, it's a little harder to find regular Star Wars content than to find regular guests. But we're going to do the best we can and uh, do what we can to support the strike, because I think in the end, that's what's more important. Uh, So, Riki, though, uh, for people who want to find and support your work, uh, where can can they do so?
1: Well, you can find me on uh, Twitch or Twitter or X i guess it's called now uh, at Wikipedia go r-i-k-i-p-e-d-i-a-g-o uh, and primarily on twitch i stream pokemon go gbl go battle league battles yeah and i am looking into getting on blue sky i believe i gotta invite code so might try oh, to nice. grab my handle there because the uh the ship is finally sinking
0: yeah. Well, if you uh, can send one my way, I, with the rats scaring in all directions off of uh, Twitter, I didn't want to create, you know, I, I created one on one of the sites and then someone else wanted me to do threads and someone else was talking to me about Blue Sky. I, I, I'm going to kind of wait a little bit, but I think if, if you can get me a Blue Sky invite, I'll happily take it. Or someone else wants to send one in if you're a listener and having it, a spare one, send one in and I can try to dedicate myself there. Of course, though, in the meantime, you can find all the stuff for this podcast and all my podcasts on theethicalpanda.com. Uh, the episode that I'm recording with Paul is when we're going to start getting to that feedback that I keep promising. Um, it's just been a really rough couple of weeks here. Uh, I had my car totaled, or pipes. It, it, it's been an adventure the last couple of months. Um, but we're finally going to get to that feedback and then again, make it more regular. Um, and of course, the best way you can support this podcast is go to our Patreon for only a couple of bucks a month, um, I have no idea what the price of a fancy coffee drink is, but I think it's about the price of a fancy coffee drink, especially if you get a large. You get ad-free content, you get bonus content, and during the strike, twenty percent of everything I make from uh, Patreon will be donated directly to uh, the actors and, and writers and uh, the. Uh, I think it's called the Entertainers Fund, but it's being used not just to support the actors and writers, the people in the unions that are on strike. But also to support people in the other professions that are not striking but aren't working. You know, the people in craft services, the people in you know who do lighting for for the movies, like all all of the technical staff and all of the production staff and the everything from makeup to catering to security. Who, when there's no movies being no TV being shot, they don't have jobs. So it's a really great fund. If you can donate yourself, that's fantastic. I'll post a link in the show notes. But of course, if you want to give to the po- uh, Patreon. Helps support us. Helps keep us going. And that's really awesome. So, I'm um, having myself and Riki. Thank you so much for listening. We have spoken. So, for the patrons, this is just going to be kind of a sneak peek. We'll do a full episode on it. But I want to just give you a chance to talk about it right now. Riki, for those who have no idea, what is a glub shido?
1: <laughs> glub is a made-up Star Wars character name completely made up, and uh, I think for the full episode, we'll have the actual quote. But to uh, like, paraphrase, someone at one point so- on some social media said that, like, Star Wars fans like just really love when they see their glup shitto on screen and like get really excited about minor characters.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, so so when we do the full episode, we will well definitely i i will try to dig up the original quote of that but it has come to embody just like the background character in mm-hmm. star wars that you do the leonardo dicaprio like pointing at your tv screen thing when when you see them in a tv show or like mm-hmm. that character shows up in a novel you're like oh yes you're like really excited and then yeah. like we're, we're talking like super obscure minor characters and the funny thing is like i've I've been talking with sarah a lot about baseball and there's there's like a made-up name in baseball too which is really funny um a made-up old-timey pitcher named tungsten arm o'doyle (laughs) and and this happened in reference um to shohei otani who i finally got to see this past weekend because he is doing fairly unprecedented things as both a pitcher and a hitter yeah. in baseball, like the, the records he's setting and the numbers he's putting up, someone like made made this tweet about like, Shohei Otani is like doing things that have not been seen since the days of Tungsten Armo Doyle. And it's just like, <laughs> it's a made up name, but yeah. it's really funny because uh, some Japanese journalists came to one of their um, American journalist friends and they're like, I can't find any stats on this Tungsten armo Doyle, And he's like, oh my gosh, no. Yeah. <laughs> he's like really embarrassed. Like had to explain this joke. Yeah. And that's like, that's what Glub Shido is. It's like it, everyone, like I think all, all Star Wars fans now, well not all, but you know, like a lot of Star Wars fans now know this name and they talk about it as if it were a real character. And someday yeah. they will probably make a character and name it this and we'll all be like, well, jump the shark.
0: Yep. And I will say that now a lot of the term glub Shido has now, it started very much in the Star Wars world. It has now gone far beyond. Oh,
1: it. has um, it?
0: Oh, yeah. Like, um,
1: that's even more exciting.
0: It, it, there is, I try to think what I can say without promoting. I, I, this isn't promoting a movie, so I'm fine. Um, I, I, I think making the statement is not promoting a movie. Uh, Y'all know where I stand, et cetera. But for example, people are talking about which Barbie is their Glub And people talk about like oh, um that's uh, amazing. like when some like little background character uh in one of the Star Trek TV shows shows up, then they'll they'll be like, "Oh, he's the Glub Um you know, there was uh, uh I mean, it it's just it's kind of everywhere now. And so I really love that that's out there. I recently sent you a picture because uh it was in part inspired by some conversations with Riki that I decided to start watching the Godzilla movies. First, I watched Godzilla 1954, which I'm not going to say anything about whether or not to go see a movie in the theaters. That's about the American perspective on the nuclear bomb. But it's I, I expected a guy in a rubber suit destroying cities and making a few comments about nuclear weapons. It's a very powerful Exploration of when can you or can't you use weapons of mass destruction and how what do they mean from a Japanese perspective only nine years after the war. There is a guy in a rubber suit who smashes toy buildings, and it's kind of fun to watch, but really it's just an amazing movie. And then later, uh my partner and I got really into it, so then we started watching some of the later movies, (laughs) which are much more just the rubber guy, just the guy in the rubber suit smashing buildings. They're a lot of fun. Some of the special effects are utterly nutso. Um, but we haven't yet watched it, but apparently in some of the movies, Godzilla has a son. Yeah. And I just saw one M- picture. Minina. Minina. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and I just saw a picture for one of those movies. I have not seen the movie yet. I just sent that picture to Riki. I'll include the picture in the show notes. I already know he is my Godzilla uh, glove shadow because he's just, it's just the most cute, ridiculous little monster creature. And, you know, Godzilla's standing next to him like a concerned, proud parent. And I love him. And I, I just, he can do no wrong in my eyes. He will be wonderful. And I can't wait to see him.
1: Yeah. Is, is Minira a club show? I don't know. It's hard to say. I, in the context of Star Wars, I think Minira is much closer to like what Wedge is now mm. in terms of like fandom and, and knowledge and stuff. Right. But, uh, like, it's 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 a very different franchise, and there's only, yeah. what, like, 20 or 30 kaiju in the entire franchise, so, mm-hmm. like, a dedicated fan can know all of them. Right.
0: That's definitely true. For, <laughs> because, and, and, I, and I think you bring up kind of an interesting point, is that you can love to see your Glob Shido show up more, but the more they show up, eventually they stop being a Glob Shido. Yeah, I exactly. Wed- like, Wedge is a great we'll, example.
1: We'll probably talk about that. Yeah, um definitely. So, for me personally, like, I will spoil that my, like, just name-wise, my mm-hmm. favorite um is from, which one is that? Attack of the Clones. It's the, hey, you want to buy some death sticks guy that Obi-Wan, like, brain wipes and makes him go reassess his life. That character has a name. His name is Elon Sleazebagano. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and that's just like, just put him in the background of some uh, some scene in the future, and I'll lose my mind. the The moment that I found out, I, I don't even know why I found out, but I found out that that was this character's name. I was like, that's it. I'm I'm committed to the bit.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you in part because the name goes the opposite direction. But even before I knew the name, my Star Wars Club Shido. Is the diner owner, uh, <gasps> Dexter, yes. the six-armed six alien oh. who who uh, Kenobi goes to talk to in Attack of the Clones. And Dex. He shows up and has actually a some we get the origin story of him and Kenobi's friendship in the Kenobi novel. Uh oh, which is just made right? oh, yeah. me so happy. Yeah. Like, he, he's not a huge character, but he's an important character. And it's like this guy shows up from one scene in one movie out of nine, and some novelist decided they needed to explain how he and Kenobi became friends, and how you, he came back and decided to open up a diner, but also knew all these things about Out There in Space. So yeah, he's he's my Shido. I love that's it. A good, that's a good one. Because that diner, they, they didn't even try to change it. It's
1: just like a 1950s
0: diner. <laughs> it's like, why does this exist in Star Wars? In Ireland, there's a lot, we're way off topic here, but I'll just say this and then we can move, we can probably wrap up. In Ireland, there's a chain of restaurants called Johnny Rockets. Okay. Johnny Rockets is an Irish attempt to make an American 1950s diner. And so it's a lot of the same food, there's pictures Wait. of Elvis and James Dean and Aretha Franklin, you know, and all, all these kind of people. And, you know, it's, it's, fine food. It's like overpriced hamburgers and stuff like that. It's a fun environment. Uh, Pretty good French fries, if I remember. Then, in, I believe, in China, um, in, like, Shanghai, like, one of the big cities, like, it's a huge amount of international tourism. Um, It may, uh, I'm not sure exactly where, but there's apparently this, like, plaza that has a restaurant from all over the world. Like, every country they pick, they went to every country and found a restaurant to represent that country, and brought it back to the to to this plaza of restaurants. Oh, the one in Ir- the one for Ireland, is Johnny Rockets. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! And when I uh, the Irish, this was like back in the nineties when I was there for college. I'm hoping it's been fixed by now, but people were so angry about it at the time. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I the point being. I think the American diner is such a thing that I think they might have at 3,000 years in the future, and maybe we had a 10,000 – maybe maybe Dexter invented it in that galaxy long, far, far away, time long ago, and just somehow the, the news came to America and New Jersey, and they started opening diners.
1: Who knows? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Future future, full, full-length episode, yeah? We're going yeah. for it?
0: That'll be, That'll be fun. Of
1: yeah. what what is a Glub Like I have and I have theories on like why mm-hmm. it is so much more prevalent in Star Wars than in other franchises that I would love to talk about. And then yeah. yeah everyone everyone write in. Write in with your favorite Glub Or do you think you know, answering questions about like is Wedge a Glub or is he like, did he start as one and evolve? And yeah. same question I have for Boba Fett. Like, look at Boba Fett's origins. I don't believe, like, any character said his name in Empire Strikes Back.
0: Oh, he was 100% a glove shido. Yeah. And then so was, um, who's the hunter who Ming-Na Wen played?
1: Fennec Shand.
0: Fennec Shand, yeah, she was a glove shido. So, yeah. We'll talk so about much, all of this. Like, all So much out there. All right, well, Riki, as always, thank you so much to our patrons. You're what makes this all possible. Thank you so much. Have a great day.